Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported, nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org. The Times 10.02 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. It's not too late to go to your phone and call 1-800-643-6273 and make a pledge for Common Ground Radio with C.J. Watt coming up next. Good morning, and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and organic agriculture here in the state of Maine, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is CJ Walk, and I am your host for today's show. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. right here on WERU. So today for our show, we are speaking with members of the Mofka El Salvador Sistering Committee, who just returned from a 10-day trip to El Salvador where they visited sistering organizations in a few different rural communities. Uh, But before we get going into the show, I did want to remind folks that this is uh, Pledge Drive Week, and feel free to call in to make your pledge at the toll-free number at 1-800-643-6273. And you can also do it online at weru.org. Uh, So before we get into the discussion, I just want to mention a couple farm and food-related events coming up this month in our area. So tomorrow, March 4th, is MOFCA's annual Spring Growth Conference from 10 to 4 o'clock at MOFCA's Common Ground Center in Unity, and the focus will be on soil microbiology. The keynote speaker will be Will Brinton from Woods End Laboratory with a farmer panel of Jason Kafka from Checkerberry Farm, Tom Roberts from Snake Rook Organic Farm, and Daniel Mays from Frith Farm. So for more information, you can go to the MOFCA website at www.mofka.org or call the office at area code 207-568-4142. And then... About a week later, on March 11th, there is a Waldo County Growers Potluck Dinner at the Varney Building in Brooks, and that goes from 4 to 7 o'clock. And for more information, you can contact Rick Kersbergen at the Waldo County Extension Association, which is the phone number there is area code 207-342-5971, or you could email email him at richard.kersbergen at maine.edu. So after those announcements, we'll get going uh, on the topic for today's show, which we have members of the Mofka El Salvador Sistering Committee with us here today. So I'd like to briefly just introduce uh, the folks that are here at the table. So we have Jean English from Lincolnville, and Jean is the editor of Mofka's quarterly publication, the MOFNG. Thanks for being here today, Jean. Thank you, CJ. And we have Karen Volkhausen from Happy Town Farm in Orland. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure. As well as Paul Volkhausen from Happy Town Farm in Orland. Thanks for being here, Paul. And then we have Millie Marquardt from Bucksport joining us here as well. Nice to be here. So really want to thank you guys for all uh, being here today. And then I'll just remind listeners that this is a call-in show, and about halfway through we'll open up the phone lines for any comments or questions. Um, 
and I will give out the call-in number at that time. So first, I think we wanted to start off with a little bit of an introduction, kind of about the committee and history of the committee and whatnot. And I think, Paul, you were going to lead in with here. Yes, I'll start off. Uh, as CJ said, we're the MAFCA El Salvador Sistering Committee, and um, we're sistered with two organizations in El Salvador in the Department of Chalatenango, which is uh, uh, a, a state departments in El Salvador, like states here. And um, their names are CCR and Cordes, and they do the same kind of work in El Salvador that MAFCA does here in Maine. And we call it a solidarity relationship. We don't go down to help them. We go down to see what they're doing and learn um, what they're doing and share what we're doing. And a little history of how we got involved with this. Um, Bangor has had a sistering relationship with a small community of Karaske um, up in the mountains of Chalatenango, El Salvador, since the early 90s. And... Uh, most of the members of that community are small peasant farmers, and so uh, we thought it would be interesting to uh, to see what they were doing. And in 1998, I believe it was, uh, the woman Esmeralda, who was the president of CCR at that time, came to Maine on a tour and um, talked to a group of organic farmers. Uh, I was there, Russ Libby was there, a few other um, farmers, and uh, she talked about what the problems were that small farmers in El Salvador were facing, uh, the problem of, of their health from, uh, from chemicals, agricultural chemicals, um, erosion because their uh, fields were so steep you could uh, really f literally fall out of their, their cornfields, uh, the problem of cheap imports uh, undercutting their prices, and then she talked about some of the solutions that, that they were looking at to, to try to overcome these problems. And she talked about uh, organic farming, how uh, that was really helping them. Um, permaculture, uh, planting uh, perennial crops on these steep fields, local marketing, farmers markets, and selling in the community. And uh, afterwards, uh, Russ Libby and I both thought it's pretty amazing here, you know, small farmers in El Salvador, and these are the exact same problems and the exact same solutions that uh, we're having as small farmers here in Maine. And so uh, we talked about, uh, Esmeralda, I guess, had the idea of, of forming a sistering relationship with the two organizations in El Salvador. And so uh, in, I think it was 1999, uh, there was a delegation of farmers uh, that went down to El Salvador and toured the, um, some of the projects that Cordes and CCR were involved in. And we got quite excited and came back and um, urged the board of MAFCA to, to uh, approve this relationship. And in 2001, the board um, agreed to form a sistering relationship with CCR and Cordes uh, in El Salvador. Since then, we've been going down um, with delegations. Uh, we've brought some tours of uh, Salvadorans to Maine. And uh, we try to go down about every year and uh, see what they're doing and, and how their projects are coming along and tell them uh, what's going on in Maine and in the United States. 
Um, so this delegation that we just came back from, uh, we were focused on um, a couple of things, but one is, as I said, just looking at the projects they're uh, involved in. Um, the second was uh, sugarcane because um, the production of, of sugarcane is a industrial agriculture and it's affecting the communities uh, around them very severely. Uh, we also uh, were constantly uh, asked questions about what's going on in the United States, um, including uh, President, our new President Trump and um, um, his stand on immigration and, um, and a travel ban, uh, particularly because uh, the remittances is what they call it, the money sent back to El Salvador from the United States from Salvadorans living in the United States is the uh, uh, largest portion of their gross national product. And uh, so they're very concerned about about uh, the deportation and about uh, uh, what's going to happen there. So I'll leave it there. And uh, Okay. All right, that gives, gives a good, <clears throat> good background on the committee. Um, so kind of officially formed within MOFCA in 2001. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, I think I would just kind of move over to ask Karen a little bit about some of the trip and some of the environmental issues. Yeah. Uh, um, I think the environmental issues are really important to understand and makes a good <clears throat> background for understanding issues in El Salvador, what's going on, the struggles there, and so forth. So um, the environment has always been very vulnerable from, from the beginning. It's always been very vulnerable. Um, El Salvador has the largest density of volcanoes in the world. Um, this It's as the size of Massachusetts, it has 53 volcanoes. Almost half of them are active, and 8% of them have erupted in the past. They also have tremendous amount of seismic activity and earthquakes. And in fact, the indigenous named El Salvador, before it was El Salvador, um, Cuscatlan, which means land of hammocks. So this... Um, Vulnerability has caused many environmental crises over time. The environmental crises, in turn, um, cause social crises as people are displaced, migrate to other um, portions of El Salvador, and lose everything they have. And the social crisis impacts the environment, so it goes around and around and around. Then you have to add extreme poverty. It's a very poor country. Um, colonization, the coffee culture has moved moved indigenous peoples off the land, um, the rich, lovely coastal land, into um, land that's barely suitable for agriculture, very steep, as Paul's already mentioned. And um, in addition, there was a 12-year civil war, um, which with lots of bombing and, and everything a war brings, including villages emptying out and living in mountains for years. So it's um, been an extreme impact. So a little bit about how El Salvador is environmentally today. 95% is deforested. This has, of course, caused erosion, and they estimate they lose 59 million tons of topsoil annually. This affects 75% of the national territory and leads to water stress, causing floods and droughts, 
in cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, the water is also very contaminated from agrochemicals and industrial chemicals. So they um, estimate that 98% of the water is contaminated. Now they treat that, but there's still 10% that is completely unfit for human consumption. <coughs> and they are predicting an extreme water emergency in the next 15 to 20 years. And there is no national plan to deal with sustainability at all in El Salvador. Also, climate change um, has arrived, and we've never talked to a Salvadoran farmer that didn't believe in climate change because it's a very real thing in their life. Of the top 10 countries that are most affected, um, El Salvador is number four in Mm. the world. Um, 88% of the national territory is vulnerable, and 95% of the population live in a high-risk zone. So it's a very, very critical issue in El Salvador. Okay, and are those high-risk zones, are those more the coastal areas due to sea rise, or yeah. what makes what makes those well, people really vulnerable, I guess I would just ask? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, floods floods in the sea level, um, droughts in further inland, um, mm-hmm. tremendous droughts. And um, you've seen that the season's getting really unstable. So they have, they have dry season. Dry season is, oh my gosh, when is it? Like October till May, and then wet season's the other half of the year. But it's all messed up now. Sometimes mm-hmm. There's tremendous droughts during wet season. That's their planting season. Um, there have been droughts in the last couple of years where people have lost 60 to 90% of their crops. And it's very serious. And then on the coast, they have constant flooding problems. Mm-hmm. So. And then they also have uh, incredible uh, rainstorms. There's uh, one village we visited before, they had 20 inches of rain <clears throat> in uh, 28 or 40, <clears throat> 24 or 48 hours. Wow. And the whole side of the mountain um, washed down mm-hmm. through, the, through the village. Yeah, it seems like that would be the, the conditions higher up, all just coming right downstream into, mm-hmm. those, into those lower valleys and communities there. Um, okay. So we had a little bit on environmental issues going on in uh, El Salvador as well. And I thought, Gene, maybe we could shift over to you for a moment. And um, Paul had mentioned some of the uh, sugarcane industry that goes on there and some of the effects on rural communities. And I thought maybe you'd like to say a few words about sugarcane. Right. Um, so sugarcane <coughs> excuse me, is the second largest export crop for El Salvador after coffee. It's been expanding in acreage for the past two decades or so. Um, if you think of any big monoculture crop in the United States and all the problems associated with the, that, it's just like that for sugarcane and then worse. Mm-hmm. So the land is plowed about four times before the crop is planted. It's propagated vegetatively and the propagules are soaked in a fungicide before they're planted. The ground is treated with an herbicide pre-plant, which could be glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup, or atrazine, or paraquat, or various other herbicides. Uh, The crop is planted and then treated with insecticides during the growing season. And toward the end of the growing season, it's sprayed with Roundup again. This time, they don't call it an herbicide, it's a desiccant. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to dry out the plant and concentrate the sugars before harvest. 
And that's often done by aerial spraying, and it drifts to surrounding communities, killing their mango trees and other plants they're depending on. Then, just before harvest, the field is quickly burned to burn off the foliage and just leave the cane to harvest. That's a requirement of the processing facilities. Mm -hmm. They don't want to transport extra weight and process extra weight. (coughs) So those are some of the basic problems. And then you have the workers who are paid. They were paid $5 a day. I think the government increased that to $6 per day recently. Mm -hmm. But... In return, the company said, okay, we'll give you this raise, but you have to tend a larger area each day for that amount of money. So the workers are working in 90 to 100 plus degree weather out in the bright sun. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring water, but it's never enough to last the whole day. And as a result, many of them suffer from chronic kidney disease. Thousands of people in the sugarcane area, growing areas, have died from kidney disease in the last couple of decades. They don't know if that's the heat or lack of water or pesticides or some combination, but it's definitely related to the cultivation of cane. Mm-hmm. Okay. <coughs> um, <laughs> Could I just ask a bit about um, just in terms of the season? Is sugar cane just kind of like an annual crop? So every year planted and harvested or... I just don't know the cycle of... What I've read is that it's planted and then it can go for a couple, two or three years after that. Although I think in some of the artisanal places where we've seen individuals growing small plots, it can go longer. Uh, Is that your understanding? Yes. In the rural communities where cane grows naturally, it's a perennial crop. And they just harvest it every year and the roots come back. But commercially on the on a large scale it's it's grown bait usually as an annual crop they harvest it then they they plow and disc and then plant another crop okay it seemed like that would be the case with the <coughs> desiccants and the burning and all right. that that maybe that would not encourage or, or help with perennial, <laughs> perennial growth that way yeah. but in the more rural communities it is treated that way as a perennial crop okay okay so I have more horrors about sugarcane. Sure, sure. Um, Increasingly, the processing companies require that the cane be irrigated, so more and more water is being taken out of the ground and out of the rivers along the sugarcane planting areas, and that is putting at jeopardy the community's use of water. So the community people dig wells now, and there's no water there. Mm -hmm. One community that we visited, Las Anonas, imports all of its water and food now because of lack of water and contamination of their food. Okay. Um, There's also a lot of deforestation going on to increase the sugarcane planting areas. So while we were talking to the community leaders in Las Anonas, right next to us, a forest was being cut down, and we were trying to talk to each other over the sounds of the chainsaws. So that also adds to the environmental stress mm-hmm. there. And loss of certification. A couple of organic growers have lost certification due to pesticide drift. Mm-hmm. So our, you know, we think, oh, we should boycott sugarcane, but then we're told, well, people work in these fields. We need the, the jobs. Mm-hmm. And then we think we should just buy organic sugar and limit our sugar consumption for various reasons. 
um, and they, the people we talked to supported that, but they said there's such a low demand for organic sugar that that doesn't seem to have a big impact right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, they're also caught in this time when harvesting by hand is so difficult for the workers, yet that's their job. At the same time, machine harvesting is coming on the scene, so they may lose those jobs anyhow. Okay. So, okay. Lots of problems with sugarcane. Interesting. Interesting <laughs> there. Um, I just want to take a minute to remind listeners that this is Common Ground Radio, and today we're talking with um, members of the Mafka El Salvador Sistering Committee who uh, just went on a 10-day trip to El Salvador uh, last month. So we're getting some details about the committee and uh, situations there in El Salvador and the work that they've been doing over, I guess, over 20 years, right? More than a couple decades at this point, according to the dates. Um, So I think we just shift over, and I know that there was also kind of a partnership with community radio stations, uh, and since we're here at WERU, I thought I'd maybe would ask Willie, if Willie would speak just a little bit about um, connections with community radio stations down in El Salvador. Okay. Um, uh, WERU has a sistering relationship with a radio station called Radio Sampul in Guarajila and uh, Department of Chalatenango, and we've had that for 10, 12 years, and and uh, it's kind of good for me because I'm a member of this committee, but I'm not all that agricultural connected other than my friends here are my favorite farmers. And I've been a member of Mavka for years, but I get to sort of piggyback and visit right at some pool, and we all usually get on the radio, and it's like I rarely come into the station. I work at WRU. But uh, you don't usually hear my voice <laughs> unless you go to Radio Sampool. This this time we didn't we didn't get interviewed there. But but uh, Radio Sampool is part of I think there's twelve or thirteen community radio stations around the country. Um, that are it's just like WRU. It's it's uh, it's it's run mostly by volunteers. I think this year it seemed like they they've got a little bit more organized and and that was sort of good because it we never quite knew what was happening. We've we've given them some. Support from here, from WRU, part of uh, um, for every new member here, we donate a dollar to to them. That's sort of what we've been done for ten years here, and we've given them equipment and stuff. And so it's always sort of good to hear what they do. And they they cover the different issues about sugarcane and mining issues and stuff around there, and have a have a news department and whatever. And there's like thirteen of these stations around the country, and somebody got smart and bought up the frequency, so. It's sort of it's all around the country where there's there's like a few two little circles of, of reception. They, they, it's sort of all covered, and there's not too much overlap. And it was a good visit this year. And but we also went to two other stations this year, which is unusual. We went to another one called Radio Farabundi Marti, which has been going for about two years in Arcatau, and that was interesting because they they have a totally solar powered transmitter. <laughs> which doesn't always work at, and when it's dark if the batteries aren't charged up. And we went to another one in Perkin called Segundo Marti, uh, Montes, and uh, there are another ARPAS stations just like Radio Sampul. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So are they supported in similar ways in terms of I'm not uh, sure exactly how they membership? get their support. You know, it's, okay. it's, uh, it's, not, it's not, they don't fundraise like we do. 
um, and and uh, but but they do give another perspective because most of the media in El Salvador is is uh, pretty big and 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 is sort of like the major media of the U.S. and has a, a certain slant on things. Mm-hmm. So they will cover things that like we do here on okay. a different level. All right, interesting. Okay, and then I think um, I just had a couple questions to try to get a, a better picture of what's going on. But in terms of agriculture, it's coffee and sugar cane seem to be the or the number two products. Is that right. correct? Yeah, I think they're the top two. The top coffee two. Coffee is far beyond sugar cane, but then sugar cane is second. Okay, and is there a lot of? Is it more government control there in the agricultural sector, mm-hmm. or a lot of private? corporations that are doing the production it's been increasingly privatized since the 90s okay part of the whole world economic growth yeah situation okay all right um and then i guess some of the questions i've had about the trips that you guys have made over the years um are you do you visit the same communities every year or you have similar connections and travel around Whoever wants to answer. I think yes to both. Yeah. <laughs> we, we tend to, first of all, Paul and I are part of the Bangor Sister City Committee, and we have a sister city in Karaske, mm-hmm. um, with Karaske. And so we are always lobbying to visit Karaske because it's a marvelous community. And we've picked up a few other favorites on the way. You shouldn't do that, but we do. And we always lobby to visit them. But Otherwise, we are seeing communities that nobody – I mean, we have a unique organization-to-organization project, so we get to see communities that no one else does. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were in the south this time on the coast. We were up north in Chalatenango, which is our region, and then we went up to El Morrison, um to visit a uh, an amazing project which you'll hear about later. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so it's always some of the old places and some of the new places. And um, Okay. And we love going back to see the old places because we can see the change in the growth. Um, one of the farms in Karaske that we've been, it was the first organic farm that we visited when we went to El Salvador. Uh, it is way up high on the side of a mountain and... Uh, it was very dry. Um, it, the farmer had been growing corn, uh, but it was just way too steep to grow corn. And so the the project that Cordays and CCR was sponsoring was to shift that over to growing pineapple and uh, uh, orange trees and cashew trees and mango trees. And um, so uh, with pineapples, you get a pineapple crop the second year that after you plant it and then um, it continues for five or s- to seven years and in the meantime the orange trees and the mango trees that they've planted are, are establishing themselves and beginning to set fruit and so uh, over the times as we've gone back there now um, some of the springs that that Nicholas said his father told him about these springs that used to be all over the side of the mountain and had dried up in in his time now are are producing water again because he's he's stopped growing annual crops everything's perennial he's got more fruits and um than you could ever imagine um, when we lived there it was my 
daily chore to walk up the mountain to get a fresh pineapple <laughs> and i'd come back loaded with exotic fruits that i'd never heard of before but were all very delicious so all right sounds like a good chore um so just to remind listeners that this is common ground radio and we're talking with members of the mafka el salvador sistering committee and it is also WERU's Pledge Week here. So we're going to take a break and go over to the on-air studio with Amy and Joel, who I think have a few words. 1-800-643-6273. Yes, we are here in the on-air studio to get you to call that number and support Common Ground Radio. Joel. Well, it's great. This is a perfect example of two community resources coming together and... Uh, you can't get any better than that. Mofka and WERU hooking up and bringing this Common Ground show to you. And it's, uh, it's just fantastic to have uh, two nonprofits participating in this manner. So you've got to appreciate that. 1-800-643-6273 would be the number to call. And uh, at 5 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to be giving away writings on the wall, searching for a new equal equality beyond black and white. And that's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's book. And it's fantastic. So everyone who's pledged on the uh, uh, talk shows, public affairs shows, uh, you have a chance. You will be entered in the writing on the wall. And we have another book, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, we do. I want to say, though, you're mentioning communities and what a good partnership with MAFCA, this Common Ground Radio show, is also this show that they're doing today with the Sister Cities right. and the Sistering Committees. I mean, those have all been partners. There's the Sister City in Bangor, and then the Sistering Communities uh, that partner with MAFCA are what led to our Sister City, or our Sister uh, uh, station relationship so with Radio Some Pool. It was through the Mafka Committee, and uh, Meredith and I have both traveled down to El Salvador with the Mafka Committee. So this is all very, very local and international at the same time. So support it, 1-800-643-6273. This is really the kind of thing that makes community radio great. The other book that we're going to be giving away that we just... I'm going to just turn off that theme because it keeps fading out. The other book that we just found out about, Peter Neal, who hosts... Uh, World Ocean Radio, Wednesday mornings right. at 8.30. The short feature has donated a copy of his book. This one I've read. I haven't read the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar book, so we're going on recommendations on that. But the Once and Future Ocean, I have read uh, definitely packed with information. I interviewed Peter Neal about it a while back. Uh, the Once and Future Ocean notes towards a new hydraulic society. Uh, excellent book. Lots of information in there. So someone will get each of these books at 5 o'clock when we do the drawing during the Democracy Now! block. Call 1-800-643-6273. We only have $386 left to go to meet our financial goal for this quarter. That's we amazing. can do that. We've had a really good drive here. Thanks yeah. to everybody for doing that. Um, so many times the public affairs shows get overlooked and people are too busy listening to call up and make a pledge. But from Peter Neal's uh, morning feature to uh, Common Ground... These are all really great programs, and uh, you should be supporting them. 1-800-643-6273. Yeah, and it's nice when you call in during the music programs, and we do hear about it. We appreciate it that people call and like, say that they also like the public affairs program. So call while CJ's here. Show them some love. That's right. We'll go back to uh, Common Ground Radio now. But in the meantime, go to your phones and call 1-800-643-6273, and we'll be back to thank you later. Okay. Uh, thank you, Amy and Joel. And we're back at Common Ground Radio. And um, we are speaking, as we've said a couple times here, with members of the Mafka El Salvador Sistering uh, Committee and talking about the, the, the work that they have done over the years. 
Uh, but this is a call-in show, so if at this point we'll get ready to open up the phone lines for any calls, uh, comments, questions you may have for our guests here today. And that toll-free number uh, to call in here for the show is one 625 9378 And I will quickly say who our guests are in the studio. We have Karen and Paul Volkhausen from Happy Town Farm in Orland. We have Jean English uh, from Lincolnville. And we have William R. Quart from Bucksport joining us here today. Um, So again, the phone lines are open to call in for any uh, comments or questions. And that's 1-866-625-9378. Um, so I wanted to ask just a couple of questions about what we talked about in the first part of the show. And I was curious about the, um, I think, Karen, you had mentioned that some of the wars that had occurred over the time and people moving to the mountains. I was curious if people were, and you've mentioned that where a lot of that farming is happening, where you guys have visited. And I was curious if that was a shift, like a push from war activity that had happened historically or people were living in the mountains and farming subsistently for generations? I'm just curious about how that occurs. Well, people were living in mountains or at the base of mountains um, for generations, yes. But during the war, they actually went way up into the mountains to escape the um, government army, which was coming through and devastating communities. Okay. So, And then... um, Oh, around 1984 to 86, even though it was still the middle of the war, there was a concerted effort to move people back into their communities to uh, repopulate, get um, have people from internal and external refugee uh, camps to come back to their communities and start rebuilding. It was quite an effort. And that's when um, National Sister Cities got involved, um, and got involved, was born to give um, different types of support to the returning populations. Okay. All right. Interesting. But earlier, um, I don't know what years it was in the 30s, maybe, um, a lot of the, the small farmers were forced off some of the better land as the coffee plantations and, and uh, you know, sugarcane yeah. kind of got started. And so that right. forced some people up into, f- further up into the mountains. And that actually happened the turn of the century yeah, when yeah. coffee got big and they broke up the communal lands that the indigenous people had. Okay. Um, and so they were moving into these less hospitable environments okay all right um seems like a lot of history and a lot of movement in el salvador there um something else i was just curious about was uh the presence of organic farming and paul i think you mentioned a couple of the organic farms that you had visited and um does el salvador have a certifying agency is that the cordes ccr that you had mentioned or well, yes, they do have a certifying agency, but um, CCR and Cordes aren't aren't involved in certification there. Okay. Um, Cordes is a technical organization that really has um, they call them technicos, but they're um, uh, technicians that go out and help people develop plans for the farm and um, give them assistance in learning about organic agriculture and about diversifying their crops. And um, they're basically they're involved in rural development 
And CCR is much more um, a social organization involved in um, trying to uh, help youth and women become more involved in, in, uh, in community organizing. And right now, one of the big pushes that, uh, that they're involved in is an anti-mining campaign because uh, there's gold in the, in the hills of El Salvador and, and uh, uh, mining companies from around the world just really want to get their hands on it. And uh, the people of El Salvador have really educated themselves about what happens with gold mining in the mountains. They've seen what happened in, in uh, both uh, Guatemala and uh, Honduras and old mines in El Salvador and how it's just polluted the water and um, devastated the, the land. So mm -hmm. that's a very strong push right now. Uh, one of the questions that our uh, farmers there have asked us is to help them with certification because in general it's complicated and expensive process for them to be uh, certified organic. They're pushing very strongly to convert farmers to organic, but um, they aren't really as as uh, pushing so much for certification. It's mm -hmm. more on a local level where it's trust that yep. works. More of the practices, I would imagine, for yep. environmental purposes. And, it, and the, the push is coming more from the production side than the consumer side. Uh, they, there's not a huge demand for organic agriculture or organic products in El Salvador, but the farmers know about the dangers of the chemicals that they were using and the problems they've had mm -hmm. and the environmental damage from uh, what's been going on and the expense. Uh, there are five companies that control all of the basic agricultural inputs, and so they have pretty much made everything pretty expensive for the small farmer. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, and then I'm just thinking about some of these people that are in higher elevations, what their what their markets may be for their products, if they're just staying extremely local or are things being kind of traveled around or going down into cities or larger villages? I would say it starts at the um, local level, the village level, and selling to, to each other. But yeah. then um, Cordes has supported market uh, farmer's markets. There's one in Arcatao. There was one in Los, Los Ranchos, and I don't actually know where others are, but they have mm -hmm. been supporting local markets. Okay. Cordes kind of has a focus. The first thing is to improve the family nutrition, so they're diversifying their crops because the tradition, traditional crops were corn and beans. Yeah. And um, um, when we first went there and, and uh, imports from the United States and, and uh, South America were undercutting the, the price of corn that the local farmers could produce. We asked a farmer, you can see that every bag of corn you take to market and sell, you're losing money. Why do you keep growing corn? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, because I've always grown corn and my father grew corn and my grandfather grew corn. Corn's more than a food to them. It's a, you know, it's part of their lifestyle. And so it's it's a hard to change, mm -hmm. um, you know, from that to uh, to a more diversified agriculture. But again, going back to Nicholas, when he took his first crop of pineapples and he had to walk down the mountain and through town to get the bus to go to the farmer's market, he sold all his pineapples before he got on the bus. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> that seems like quite a trek to come down 
with uh, with your crop and take the bus to the farmer's market. I don't know many farmers around here that take the bus, right? Most people there don't have vehicles, so, uh, so yes, it's the bus or the horse or the mule or walk. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, well, I think something else uh, that I wanted to ask about, I think, Karen, you alluded to an amazing project that was coming up, and I'm not sure what that was. Well, there's a lot of amazing projects that are occurring there. <laughs> right. And okay. I'm going to start with one and then pass it over to Paul to talk about another that it's a re- related type of thing. And it's all under an umbrella of a, a food sovereignty campaign that's being waged in El Salvador right now. And Cordes and CCR both have been very active in this. Um, they... And this particular project is a woman's initiative to plant organic kitchen gardens for their to um, supplement and improve the diets of their families. So CCR and Cordes are doing trainings to teach women how to plant, um, what to plant, and then they follow that up with trainings how to use the food, which I think is brilliant. Yes. Um, and so they call it green food. Um, and the women have been very excited about this. And the women involved have put out a cookbook about green food and how to use it. Um, and that's been distributed around and has been very popular. And we were very lucky to spend a wonderful half day and evening with this dynamo um, named uh, Juanita Morales, who's the... Um, She's part of the um, the board of CCR, and she's um, secretary of women. And um, so she um, had us to her house to tour her beautiful um, kitchen garden. It was just gorgeous. And um, all these different types of spinach I never heard of or saw before. It was just not the spinach you think about and oh my gosh Jean can you remember some of the um, vegetables that she grew um, there were peppers and cucumbers yeah. and um, the tuber what's the tuber <laughs> yucca 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 which I thought was yucca but it's yucca it's yucca okay and moringa she was growing moringa trees which ha- are just a multi-purpose amazing perennial crop I had seen it in Florida where it's used to improve the soil. It's a nitrogen-fixing tree. Mm-hmm. The leaves are useful as a vegetable and for enriching the soil. And it can be used to filter water. Wow. I think the seeds are ground to do that. So lots of multipurpose plants. Wow, I, when we were in her garden, all I could think of was Mofka member Beatty Parker's garden in her backyard, which is just crammed with all kinds of useful plants. So mm-hmm. I think of Juanita as the Beatty Parker of El Salvador. <laughs> so not just food crops, but many of other purposes. Mostly food well. and medicine, but really okay. multi-purpose. And um, let me just take a minute so I can give the phone number out to call in for any comments and questions, which is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. And we're talking with members of the Mafka El Salvador uh, Sistering Committee. And we did have someone call in to give a pledge. So I would like to thank Olenka from Brooklyn, Maine. And Olenka says, thank you for a remarkable show and a real eye-opener about El Salvador. So thank you very much for calling in during the show here today. Um, and again, any comments or questions are welcomed at one 625 And Karen, did you have something to add? Yeah, I did. Um after this 
wonderful tour. We went to a museum, um, and then after that, um, Juanita got her buddies together, and they cooked us a green dinner, <laughs> and we helped make pupusas, which was scary for me because I just don't do well making tortillas things. But um, anyway, we had this beautiful kind of traditional Salvadoran <laughs> dinner, but with incorporating some of these uh, wonderful vegetables and greens that they grow. It was really a lovely evening of fun and laughter and good eating. Okay. Did you I just wanted to add that one of the people who went with us who wasn't able to join us today is Justina Soltis. She's a student at Unity College. And it, it was just such a joy to have a young, happy, enthusiastic person there. And we're really counting on her to bring pupusas to unity because <laughs> she's also a chef. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess I would ask quickly then, were there other folks that went on this trip with you last month? Or? It was the five of us. The five of you? Okay. Okay. Good. Um. <clears throat> so something else I wanted to mention uh, was okay. that um, – Another focus of this trip that I didn't bring up earlier was um, school gardens, and uh, we visited a couple. Karen will talk about one, and I'll talk about one briefly. But um, uh, this one school that we that we visited—that's it's, it's a focus that that both CCR and Core Days are encouraging—is uh, to have schools grow food and and use the food them, themselves. And uh, this one school that we visited was basically like a botanical garden is just there were plants everywhere the whole uh the whole schoolyard was just full of plants the only open space was the soccer field and and the rest was just um there's all kinds of plants and the the director of the school had um started out as a teacher during the war um and then gradually became uh went to school himself he was you know and learned to be a teacher and now is the director of the school but the whole side of the hill is raised beds and at the bottom of the hill there's a spring and there's a fish pond and they have tilapia there and um they went and caught the tilapia in the lake and brought them in here so they're actually breeding there and um they grow all these green plants that they then throw in and we'd watch you'd see the plant bob and all of a sudden disappear into the water as the tilapia were eating it and uh, um then they pump the the water from the pond up and irrigate the raised beds mm -hmm. and they just had every kind of fruit and vegetable growing and they're all organic and then they they he just he believes in flowers too which um karen is a flower farmer yeah. so <laughs> special to her but um the place is just you know everything hanging pots from the from the walls and the and the ceilings and every you know plants in the courtyard and he said in the in the rainy season that um, they'll sometimes have a thousand butterflies flying around, forty different varieties they've named, um, and the children learn everything through that. You know, f math, figuring out the how how mm -hmm. much you can grow and what your yields are and how many square feet, and biology. Uh, you know, they've learned about the insects and the plants and. Uh, they just incorporate 
all of this in, into the, the uh, curriculum so that, so that all the students are involved from, uh, I think this school went from kindergarten up to eighth grade. Yeah, I think so. And uh, okay. um, they're just, every part, every, every year they're involved in, in, that, uh, okay. in that project. All right, well, I think, looks like we have a caller. I believe we have Dave from Brooklyn that is on the line. And Dave, if you'd like to go ahead with your uh, question or comment. Oh, gee, thanks. I'll try and keep it brief because there's so much being said. But uh, I was in yesterday answering phones, and I got a chance to talk to Will a little bit about this. And I, I was so excited and, uh, 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 what do you call it, encouraged uh, to hear that such a thing as this is happening somewhere in the world where, you know, the, the local communities have gotten together amongst themselves and created a whole... Uh, shadow government almost in effect uh you know in in uh in a self-defense against the uh the uh centralized government which is so uh corrupt and repressive and this can happen you know it can happen it, it can happen probably even here i i'm uh they've they've had to go through hell absolute hell in el salvador to get to that and we haven't yet and so uh we may you know and it won't be any fun if it does happen but there is uh, another side to it, and I think it's good for us to remember that as we're as we're going through our own tumult in this country. And uh, uh, just a, a side note, I, I subscribe to a magazine called uh, Biodynamics: Rethinking Agriculture, and it's it's an excellent magazine. And in the current issue, there's an article about a uh, an effort, an initiative which is being uh, operated in this is in Costa Rica and Mexico, but I'm sure it would be applicable in producing. Uh, uh, Demeter certified uh, coffee, which is uh, similar to the, you may have heard of the biodynamic wine movement uh, out in the West, which is, uh, uh, really caught people's attention because it does taste qualitatively uh, different and better. And I think the same is coming to be discovered with the coffee, and there's such a, such a, a desire for designer coffees lately that I think if you, if you, you know, this is a whole nother uh, brand beside organic, which is uh, more difficult to achieve and uh, not dispensed uh, sort of randomly by the USDA, as I hear uh, abroad frequently. Uh, and uh, if you get your Demeter uh, biodynamic certification, you can really run with it. And uh, you have to farm right in order to do it, of course, but there's nothing the matter with that. And uh, it, it is very applicable to coffee. I just wanted to throw that in, and thanks so much for the work you're doing there in the report. Okay, Dave, thanks for thanks for calling into the show today. Um, I think did we have another caller on the line? No more calls on the line. Okay, um, I think we're getting kind of into the last maybe five or six minutes or so. But I think that there was another school garden, Paul, or that Karen was going to speak about briefly. I think if we could get a few minutes there, and then. We'll be closing in towards the end of the show. That would be great. Okay. Well, um, it's a little history here. A couple of years ago at the Common Ground Fair, a woman that came up to Jean at our, our sistering table and um, was very interested that we went to El Salvador and had a long relationship and had we ever been to Perkin. And um, Jean said no, but she had been up there to a very remarkable school called Awanshe. Mm-hmm. 
and um, spoke so highly of the director of the school, in fact, gave us his book and said, you have to go there next time. So we arranged it. Um, and Perkin is in Morasan, way up in the mountains, a very historic um, community. And this school really just blew us away. We, we went, uh, we met him, we stayed at his hotel, and we went to the school, planning to spend an hour, and we spent the whole, at least half a day there, because we could not drag ourselves away. And they have very, um, it's a wonderful, it's a um, non-profit private school, and a wonderful system of integrated Education and they're about to graduate their first um, high school students. Students, so it goes a K to twelve, mm-hmm. um, and they have they are developing school gardens. They have two um, high tunnels now. One is active. One will be active. They have a fish pond, and they grow. Um, a lot of the food that they serve at the school, and if they have excess, then they um, grow it, I mean, sell it to the community um, or the hotel. So um, I don't know if anyone wants to say more about that in the last several minutes we have, but it was really inspirational. I think Jean, looks like Jean has something to add. It's hard to fit everything we saw in Perkeen into a minute or two, but they also have a classroom that's divided into four rooms. It's a new classroom building, one room for physics, chemistry, astronomy, and biology. And the kids go in there and do hands-on learning. It was brand new. They were just putting the equipment in when we were there. And our um, guide, Victor, when he saw that, he, he's ready to move there and put his kids in that school. So the whole idea of hands-on education, learning, and then applying what you learn, the director there, Ron Brenneman, who started this school, just has this vision of developing technology that's useful for that area, rather than the local high schools, which turn out 200 accountants per year. Uh (laughs) Um, And they also have another brand new building that's going to be a soil plant and water testing lab. And we found out how desperately that's needed in El Salvador when we were there, Mm -hmm. because for reforestation, people need to know how to deal with metals and low pH and things like that. Interesting. Seems like a lot happening. It was sure. very exciting. <clears throat> it, and we had hot showers, solar heated showers in Perkin. That was <laughs> that was a really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I think as we're kind of getting into the last few minutes, I wanted to um, I just wanted to ask so if people listening were interested in maybe getting involved or interest in supporting somehow, I know you have uh, an empty bowl supper that is coming up. You want to speak maybe a minute about the Empty Bowl Supper? Yes, our Empty Bowl Supper, we hold it annually. It's our major fundraiser for the year for this committee. It will be on April 22nd this year, not April 29th, as someone mistakenly put in the Mofka paper. (laughs) (laughs) Bad editing there. Um, It's at the United Farmers Market in Belfast at 6 o'clock, and we would love to have people come. We have music, soup breads, desserts. It's just a really fun time with a great community of people. Okay. And you get to take home your bowl. Right. right. <laughs> and you get to take home your bowl yes. as well. We get gorgeous bowls from Maine artisans who donate them every year, and we're so grateful to them. Okay. Also. Great. So that is April 22nd at 6 o'clock in Belfast. Right. And that building is the old Matthews Brothers building <clears throat> as, far right. as, yep. as far as I know, right? Okay. 
Well, I think we only have a couple minutes left, so I just wanted to say um, thank you to our guests here today. We have been talking here on Common Ground Radio with members of the Mafka El Salvador Sistering Committee. And we have had uh, Karen and Paul Volkhausen from Happy Town Farm in Orland. So I just want to say thank you for being here, folks. Thanks for having us. And Jean English from Lincolnville, thank you for being here as well, Jean. And Willie Marquart from Bucksport and uh, the office right around the corner, essentially from the studio here, or from the room. So thanks for coming all the way down here, Willie, for the day. Um, But also remember that uh, this is a pledge drive time for uh, WERU, and you can call in to make your pledge at the toll-free number of 1-800-643-6273. And so, again, Common Ground Radio can be heard here at WERU on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m., and it's brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. So I'd like to thank uh, Amy for engineering the show and Amy and Joel for poking in halfway to do the, the promo for the pledge, pledge drive here. And uh, if you stay tuned, we have On the Wing next with Joel Raymond, I believe. So thanks for tuning in, folks. Support for WERU comes from Two Loons Farm.